COP25. This has been going for 25 years yeah. and we still can't come to a global consensus on how to essentially save the planet. There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you want that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic. Today we'll be visiting COP25, the UN Climate Change Conference that's taken place in Madrid, Spain for the last two weeks, which as I record this on Sunday morning, I'm not quite sure if it's finished or not. It was meant to be, but these COP conferences tend to go on longer due to the negotiations. And there's just too much that happened at COP for me to synthesize it all down now. And also probably too much for our host Cree, who you're about to hear from. But what you're going to get with this episode is a real on-the-ground account of what it felt like to be at COP25, especially as a member of a youth delegation, from people who got to present for the first time to such a high-caliber body, and just people who had conversations with people from other countries about how climate change was affecting them and how taking climate action was making them feel. This is fantastic to get to hear from the conference venue in Madrid, and I'm so lucky to get to bring it to you, and so grateful to Cree for finding the time to send it in. I hope she's going to have a well-deserved break now after this hectic week, but I'm glad to have the fruits of her labors to share with you now. Two quick pieces of housekeeping before we get into it. Number one, Climactic is having two weeks off on December 29th and January 5th. But instead of not having a show, we were originally going to bring you two episodes of other shows to possibly introduce you to something new. But that original idea has now grown into a 12-day climate podcast showcase, with some of the biggest shows in Australia taking part, as well as some excellent newcomers. And as part of this 12-day showcase, we'll be highlighting Climactic's best episode of the year, as voted by you. That's right, it's a listener's choice episode of the year for Climactic, and we'd love to hear what you think. Just check out the link in our show notes or go to climactic.fm slash climate podcast, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-E, for more information. And number two, Climactic is a volunteer organization. We receive no outside funding, and this show is the product of only volunteered time and effort. And I've been blown away by the people who've chosen to give their time and effort freely. But coming into 2020, we need to do a lot more to confront the climate crisis. And I'd love for the Climactic Network to grow, to support others in raising their voice, to tell more stories, to reach a broader audience. To do that, even a small amount of funding would go a long way, but it's absolutely vital to us that we get funding from something we can believe in. And there's no better way of doing that than having direct support from listeners. So you know we're here to serve you, not the agenda of an NGO, the limitations of a grant, or the moral questions raised by sponsors. So if you like what we're doing here at Climactic, and you'd be able to support us for even a dollar a month, we'd appreciate it so much. We have a possible page where you can support us, and you can find a link to that in our show notes, or at the support link on our website. Thank you so much, and enjoy this amazing episode from Cree McNamara from COP25 in Madrid.
Hey guys, it's Cree here, um, and I'm coming to you from COP25 in Madrid. So you may notice by my voice that I'm a little bit sick, and I think that's a reflection of how we're all kind of feeling here at the moment. It's been a really crazy week, a bit of a whirlwind, but it's been amazing nonetheless. I'm here with one of my fellow delegates from Australia, Ben, and he's from Sydney. I might pass it to you, Ben, now to give yourself a bit of an introduction. Yeah, sure. So my name's Ben um, and I'm studying at University of New South Wales doing a degree in commerce and I'm majoring in economics. As you might know, we all are writing research papers, policy papers while we're here and I'm looking at renewable energy and how we can lower the barriers to investment and more specifically looking at our energy grid, so the transmission infrastructure and how we can get that ready to have lots of new renewables connecting to the grid. Yeah, there's plenty of energy stuff and learnings from different countries at COP, so it's been a busy few days running around trying to fit in all of those events and meetings, but it's been pretty amazing. So, yeah, we're kind of ecstatic to be here. I would like to bring to the listeners who are tuning in from Australia a bit of an idea of the vibe here, what's going on, um, and, yeah, what it feels like to be at this event that, you know, we all we hear a lot about in Australia and we hear that it holds a lot of stake in the international climate regime. I guess what has been the most surprising aspect for you so far? Yeah, so I'm actually writing a blog post on this at the moment because these conferences, as you may know, have tens and thousands of people. I know last year I think there was 30,000 people in Poland um, and this year will probably be a few less because of obviously the venue got changed um, from Chile to Spain. But still, you know, we're talking tens of thousands of people and I think... It's hard to understand until you actually get here what all of those people are doing. And the most obvious thing and the thing that gets all the media attention is the negotiations. And, of course, that's a crucial part of what goes on here. Um, But I think you find when you get here and you start talking to people that that's kind of one very small part of what these conferences are. Um, And I think a very big part of it is networking and knowledge sharing so you're you're getting people with similar motivations from all around the world um, and you're putting them together in one place and it's a place where you know if you are super interested in blue carbon or super interested in energy policy you know there's other people from all around the world who also have an interest in that and amazing knowledge and they've got learnings from trying to do that in their countries Um, so you can connect with those people you can find events um, in all of those areas and that's probably one of the biggest reasons that a lot of people come to the COP Um, and then I'd say a third thing that is really important here is that climate obviously affects lots of different people differently and that's something that becomes so much more apparent when you're here there's obviously pavilions from lots of different countries and they will all talk about the different effects that they're experiencing and we've talked a lot with um, small island states specifically in the pacific which is you know quite close to home for us and you know with sea level rises they've got very different effects of climate change that they're experiencing and these conferences give 
a bit of a stage for people to actually make their cause known. Um, so it is a platform where Indigenous people can come and you know, make it clear the effects that they're feeling from climate change and small island states can do similar things and there's a whole other range of different people who are experiencing different things. I mean, health is another one um, where people can actually get on the stage and say, hey, look at all these health impacts that our country's experiencing um, and make that visible in front of lots of people who are kind of on the world stage making decisions. So it's a great stage for people to advocate their causes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's important to mention there as well that we're seeing a a pretty strong presence of Indigenous peoples from Latin America, for example, um, but not so much from home. And that's been something that we've been talking about a fair bit um, amongst our group of Australians here. I think it's important to remember that that's a very significant um, part of our population who's not represented here. And that's kind of what we've also been suggesting to members of DFAT when we've been speaking with them, that this is something the youth of Australia is concerned about. And I guess also, like, it's a really amazing experience in here, but I think sometimes I, like, realise all of a sudden, like, oh my God, it's so easy to get removed from actually what we're talking about because you're inside this big hall and you're looking at videos and pictures and, like... I guess you, you spend enough time around the climate change rhetoric and and it does lose its effect on you and then you realise that actually at home a big part of the country is on fire and the ash from that is reaching New Zealand now and, and settling on the glaciers over there. Um, and, yeah, sometimes I think it's, it's, it's amazing in here but it's also really easy to get kind of carried away and then... And then lose sight of of what we're here for yeah I think you can get a little bit disillusioned with just the amount that goes on here and kind of trying to tie it back to actual impacts and things changing I think especially you know when you're looking at negotiations and they're spending hours and hours uh, debating one word and the connotations that it has it's, it's quite difficult to try and justify that that is all then going to feed back into action and I think to a certain extent it does and I think people will go home and they'll you know put policies into place and there's people who come back with fresh ideas and fresh networks and they're going to take action on that they'll form you know NGOs they'll start new projects and I think it's that's the hope that all of that happens but I think it's difficult sometimes you know you get that in your mind that what if that stuff doesn't happen what if it is all talk because there is you know it's a conference there's a lot of talking and you want to know that it's all actually going to end up in action so I guess the most important part of the cop in a way is what happens afterwards and what everyone does when they go home Um, and I think you need to try and have bit of optimism that people will go and do that and you know you meet some pretty amazing people here um, which kind of encourages you that that will happen. But from the negotiation side of things from the discussions that we've had in the last few days I mean the negotiations were going for a week before we arrived and we've only got a couple of days left now really. The vibe in here is um, 
well, you know, from the from the party delegations, which is away from the side events, away from the marketing and the business side of things. People are frustrated because there are a couple of aspects or a couple of big topics that were for this year's COP that have been pushed to next year because parties cannot reach an agreement. So those three, as we know them at the moment, are transparency, as in the kinds of data that countries are reporting on with regards to their emissions and how, you know, the mechanisms to make sure that countries aren't double counting, um, countries are putting forward the most reliable and truthful measurements, um, which is something that you don't really want to be pushing into next year, considering that's when the Paris Agreement comes into effect. Um, And then also common timeframes and adaptation have been pushed to next year as well. Um, And, yeah, it's kind of a hard one because people have been really frustrated um, with the fact that these aspects have been pushed to next year. But also, you don't want to come to an agreement on something that has holes in it or parties are unhappy about or people are going to be disadvantaged by because that's something that's, you know, pretty much set in stone and you can't really go back on it. Yeah, I think something that you also realise in, like, big multilateral debates and agreements is that, yes, this might be a climate change debate, but anything that's involving so many countries becomes so political that so many other things are dragged into it and it doesn't end up being about hey, let's reduce the world's emissions, but there's so many other little political intricacies at play. And, of course, you know, you want to have a climate plan that takes into account things like Indigenous people, things like gender, things like human rights, things like inequality in the world, and then trying to integrate all of that into, you know, one agreement is so, so difficult. Um, And it is frustrating because, on the one hand, you know, we all just want to see something that's going to make the world try and reduce their emissions. But then, on the other hand, there's so many different groups with different interests that want to see certain things included in those agreements. Um, Yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. You know, it would be nice if you could just get rid of all the politics and just come up with an agreement but you know that's yeah. never really going to happen it's so it's never going to happen i mean it's it's cop 25 this has been going for 25 years yeah. and we still can't come to a global consensus on how to essentially save the planet It's also worth talking about how it feels to be an Australian here at COP. Yes. It's a a spicy time. Um, It's a spicy time to be an Australian at a multilateral negotiation about climate policy. Yeah. Um, So overnight there was an assessment that ranked Australia's climate policy with a zero. And that was sort of in the eco um, newsletter as we walked in this morning. So the vibe as an Australian, um, I wouldn't say that 
I'm overly proud. There's an event they do every day called Fossil of the Day where they basically award a fossil to countries that have done, you know, pretty dismal, terrible things in the climate space and Australia and the US have consistently kind of shown up on a few of those every day. It's quite embarrassing um, in a way to tell people that you are Australian and I think people recognise that just because you're from a country doesn't mean, you know, you are aligned with the views of the government. I think that's clear. But still, you know, you you feel responsible for it and especially when you talk to so many other people from countries that are so much less privileged than Australia and have so much less than we have and they're doing more than us in this climate space and I think a big part of the Paris Agreement was the idea that the more fortunate countries are going to help um, less fortunate countries and you know we can afford to cut our emissions we can afford to help other countries reduce their emissions um, and that was kind of the spirit of the Paris Agreement and now that it's come to actually coming up with rules around it everyone's kind of backing away um, and I, well yeah <laughs> Australia is but I think more broadly there's kind of this sense that Originally, you know, everyone signed the Paris Agreement and it was a lot of big ideas bundled into an agreement, but they hadn't really come up with the rules. And now that they're actually going into the fine details and coming up with sort of, I guess, the more legal side of what each country is actually obliged to do, everyone's suddenly taking the back foot, I guess, which is classic politics because everyone wanted to look like they were part of this big multilateral agreement, they were doing something good, and then when it comes to the stage where they actually need to work out what their country needs to do, how much money they need to dedicate to whatever causes, everyone's kind of trying to find loopholes and do the least they can, and Australia's really championed that movement, so... Um, so we're good at that, at least. Yeah, it is It is kind of sad. I mean, I've felt fortunate for the people that we've met with who aren't Australian, and they they can see that that's obviously not what we believe in. I mean, we're here at a climate change conference as yeah. young people, so yeah. obviously that would not be, um, you know, we're not going to be in line with the overall federal opinion and um, position on things like carryover credits um, so I guess it's been bittersweet to, to speak to people from other countries who kind of say you know Australia has a big question mark next yeah. to it in terms of climate policy but we know that you guys are not the ones behind all of that yeah and I know there's heaps of people from the US who are in a very similar boat like I've seen US people around who are you know very strong activists and they're doing heaps and heaps of work here and they have the exact same issue you know and we still point at the US and kind of say you know you guys suck yeah um yeah, yeah. And it's, I it's, think it's weird. It's a it weird is. feeling. It is a weird feeling. And it, I guess in a similar sense, it's also been um, interesting to meet with uh, official members of the Australian delegation and understanding that, yeah. you know, they are real people. These negotiators who sit in the negotiating rooms until 3am representing Australia, they are real people and more often than not I mean they're putting forward the the 
the tagline of the federal government at that time and and when you actually meet that person behind the negotiating um, it it's a really hard thing to grapple with because it's like well how are you such a nice person to sit down and yeah. talk with when yeah. um, you know you, you you're representing the only country who wants to use carryover credits the young Australians who are no longer in Australia anymore because simply for that fact that they want to make a difference and they are so passionate about making a difference coming to the realization that Australia is not is not the place for that at the moment Australia is not ready to have that conversation about drastically reducing our emissions and not shying away from you know what this would mean for heavy industry um, yeah we've had a few conversations with young people who have flown the coop they've gone elsewhere and yeah. I think that's really sad I think that's so sad that we've got all this fresh young talent and passion and innovation and we're losing it because well essentially because the federal government is in a bind with big corporations and the state of the economy that um, you know they're not really willing to to get out get themselves out of yeah um, and yeah like Cree was saying we did talk to a lot of negotiators and they were kind of you know they obviously still need to be a bit careful about what they say even to us but they were being very encouraging they're like you know we've been in your position before um and kind of go for it you know like you have your opinions and you should push those and um which is encouraging to know that they you know really support what we're doing and they're happy that there is more movement but then you know if they were in our position we don't want to end up in their position in a way like we would hope that if we were to get to where they are now we would be able to advocate things that we believe in and like part of me is hopeful that that will happen um because the rest sit on a negotiating table one day actually be advocating or putting you know putting into legislation what what i believe in and what i'm passionate about yeah and especially because like the majority of the world has made a move on this and Australia is one of the literally one of the few countries that is so far behind that I think it's in a way almost inevitable Um, and it's actually like every Australian person who we've met from all different kind of walks of life there's people who are in industry like representing you know Uh, aluminium mills and they're preparing for Mm. climate change because they know things are going to change and it actually makes sense for them to start preparing their business for that Um, and I think it's kind of absurd in a way that like everyone else in Australia is kind of preparing for it but the policy is still so far behind when it really should be completely the other way Um, yeah we really are kind of doing things a bit backwards. Well, I mean, and this is what we can see. This is what we can um, get a sense of here. Obviously, there is a portion of Australians who, who do not feel this way. Yeah, and sure. And um, I guess when you're surrounded by it all the time, it's it's easy to feel like, Okay, well, it just feels really obvious. Why is the government not shifting? But then I guess the 
kind of step out of the bubble and be like, oh, there's a lot of Australia that isn't as passionate about this as we are. Yeah, yeah, we were saying this this morning, like part of it's passion, part of it's purely just education. It is. A lot of people either just don't know enough about what's going on or it's just way easier not to try and figure out what's going on and it is easier to just be oblivious Um, and I think that's kind of a sad fact in a lot of Australia it's like we're too comfortable for our own good because we can just kind of switch off and not focus on all of this stuff and it's easy just to live a very comfortable life and be oblivious to you know all the other people in the world who are suffering from various different things you know not just climate change but it's hard when you're here and there's that much energy in young people it's hard not to think that we are at a tipping point where soon you know people will kind of wake up and I'd like to hope that it doesn't take until our generation is the voting majority for things to change we don't have that much time exactly well that's the thing I think you know when you look at the fact that COP we're COP 25 now so it's taken a quarter of a century and we're about to kind of sign the Paris Agreement oh well sorry get the rule book sorted and actually have it start um and how little's kind of been done before the Paris Agreement I mean there's been a few different things but quarter of a century is a long time um for really not that much change so yeah yeah but then again, when you think about what's happened in the last decade, it, the progress that's been made, and I think I mentioned this um, when I was chatting with my professor last time, was that, I mean, look at what we did in the last 10 years without all that much effort. Think of what can be done in the next five years. If we all come together, if we can agree on some stuff here, which, I mean, is still yet to be determined. Yeah. Hello guys, um, this is Cree here again, coming to you from COP25, and I'm here with some of my buddies from the Australian delegation, and we are just um, reflecting on day, well, our third day of COP. One of the ways that we like to debrief our day is with a fun little game, I don't know if it's a game, activity called Rose Thorn Bud. So we kind of give an idea of how our day went so the rose is generally something that was really nice about our day here at the conference the thorn is something that maybe was not so nice or made us realize some clear realities of the conference the bud is something that plants a little idea in us and um, maybe gives us some motivation to dig into something a little bit further so I'm going to pass you around the table now to our buddies here at COP. <laughs> Thanks, Cree. Uh, so I'm Anna. I'm from Cairns. Um, so a rose from today uh, was probably meeting with uh, Rashmi from the Climate Health Alliance. Uh, so being a medical health background, uh, it was really inspiring to 
hear her talk about the movement towards um, the association between health and climate change um, and moving forward, um, yeah, the implications and the importance uh, to focus on health more. Um, which leads me into my thorn, which was um, that there is no really connection between health and climate change at the moment. Um, so yeah, definitely a lot of focus and work needs to be done there. Um, the bud would probably be meeting with Department uh, <laughs> of Foreign Affairs and Trade um, and their focus on youth and their interest in um, involving them more in discussions. Um, and I, Did I do everything? Yes, yeah. I did. Cool. <laughs> I Hi guys, um, I'm Ali from Melbourne um, and I'm managing the Global Voices Youth Delegation. Um, my rose for today was not a specific thing. I think it was more the diversity of meetings that we had today. It was really um, cool to meet this morning with the Carbon Market Institute and hear a little bit about, you know, how carbon markets are developing in Australia, even without the government sort of inputting much in that space. Um, it was really cool to meet with... Um, uh, Maximo from an uh, uh, organisation called EcoHouse in Argentina and hear about the stuff that he's doing over there in such a different context. Um, it was really cool to meet with Joanna from the UN um, working in Fiji and to hear about sort of her career progression and how she's ended up where she is. And it was really lovely to speak to Rashmi again this evening from the Climate and Health Alliance and um, to hear her have a very philosophical discussion in some ways about um, her perspectives on, on uh, you know, progress of climate agreements and how health sits within that and um, migration and all these other issues. Uh, my thorn for today, I didn't really have a strong thorn today, I have to say. I was quite stressed this morning in the lead up to the um, youth dialogue um, with the uh, Department of Environment uh, and the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade that we had this morning. Um, and so I was a little bit probably not focused on other things as much as I should have been because stressing about that. Um, but that was definitely my bud as well, um, that meeting. we had. So we had a youth dialogue. We had uh, about 20, a bit over 20, I think, in the end, young Australians um, who were here at COP, uh, all for very different reasons. Some are researchers, some doing capacity building stuff in some uh, uh, advocates, some uh, um, you know school students. There was a real diversity um, and bringing them all together in a room with some of the negotiators and with the ambassador for the environment, Jamie Espista, was really cool to start with. And then the fact that what's going to come out of that, I think, is a really uh, an institutionalised youth space here at COP um, and better outcomes for young uh, young Australians who can be here and be and participate. Um, a lot more effectively um, in discussion. So that's really exciting and I'm looking forward to working on that going forward. Hi, this is Ben from Sydney. <laughs> Hi. Uh, and my rose for today was meeting with the Carbon Market Institute who have been doing some really amazing work in Australia around setting up voluntary carbon markets and they're doing some really cool work looking at all of the different sources of carbon carbon capture so the supply side of actually you know regrowth projects projects that um, do offset carbon and trying to sort of work with businesses who are voluntarily looking for carbon offsets and trying to create that supply side of that um, so I thought it was really cool to hear their work my thorn was listening to Greta's speech today the reason for that is I thought it was quite quite sad to see how she feels about being misrepresented um, in the mainstream media a lot and her kind of talking about her fears of 
you know, not being able to say a lot of things because she will be misrepresented. Um, so I thought that was quite sad, and I think you can really kind of see that when she's talking. So that was my thorn. My bud was probably um, our philosophical discussion with Maximo um, from Argentina, who's started a really cool, um, a really cool NGO called Eco House, and they are centered around doing climate education. Um, but he had some very interesting values around kind of the ethics of climate change and uh, mentioned how he's kind of using climate as a vehicle to connect with people and sort of change the world, um, as he put it, but really to get to kind of their moral fibres through climate change, which I thought was a really interesting perspective. So that was probably the bud for today. Hello. Is this how you do ASMR? <laughs> All right. Hi, everyone. Hi, Climactic Podcast family. I'm Sasha from Melbourne. Um, my rose was also the youth dialogue, which my colleague Ali from Global Voices um, put a lot of work into setting up. And I think it was a really fantastic outcome and will lead to continued youth dialogues um, with the Australian government in the future, which I think is a huge and um, fantastic outcome from that work that she's done um, over the past couple of months. My thorn is that I feel, I don't know if I'm just actually tired, but I feel like emotionally drained from, I think like there's a bit more pessimism walking around the um, COP centre at, um, at this late stage. Um, a couple of people that I've spoken to are just like a bit disillusioned with the process and what will actually come out of this COP. Um, and all the efforts that everyone has made to be here um, after the move from uh, Chile. And then, oh, sorry, I got really close in the end. <laughs> My bud was meeting with Maximo and Rashmi. I think they both had, like, so much just passion for what they do and that was really, really evident and, like, genuine. So it was really easy to engage in their conversations and I think I was actually picked up by their enthusiasm and passion for what they do and hope for better outcomes. I don't know what that end ending was. Don't use that ending, Cree. <laughs> Cut it off. <laughs> All right. Hello. I'm Aaron from the... I'm doing a PhD at the Australian National University. Um, last night, I got to deliver a statement on behalf of academia and researchers at the high-level segment. Really special because throughout my entire life, I mean, I was never good in school from primary to high school to university. I've kind of been told by the academic system that I'm shit. And the fact that I could get up there and represent academia and researchers was a great full circle like kind of thing. An example of how I was told I was shit um, was that my first year of high school, like in year seven, I don't know if that's the same thing with everyone else here, but in Hong Kong, right, year seven, one of the first things we had to do was give a presentation, and I got in trouble for having such poor presentation skills. And the fact that I could come back up there and, number one, represent academia, and number two, have the speaking and confidence skills to get up there was a really great bud for me. Um, no, really great rose for me. My bud and my thorn will not should not be recorded. <laughs> okay, so I'm Cree. I think, yeah, my rose today was, I think, just being at the COP overall. Like, I keep, Ben and I were talking before about, yeah, just being here. We all feel like kids in candy stores. I mean, it's kind of a bit of a daunting candy store because 
maybe with some not very nice yeah yeah but it just it does feel yeah it does feel pretty surreal to be here and um I, I don't know if or when I'll get the opportunity to be at such a high-level kind of meeting again. So I think just overall the day was a rose. However, the thorn was probably Greta's speech as well, and I think that's worth mentioning twice because you can really see in the way that she's speaking at this conference that um, she's lost... Um, yeah, she's lost a lot of hope in the last year and a half and... She is just speaking very frankly now, just repeating the facts, and I think that's a real shame that seeing her in real life and seeing the, the absolute media circus that follows her, it's not hard to see why she's kind of had that reaction over the past year and a half, and we still haven't had much progress from what she's talking about. My bud, however, was definitely the youth dialogue because it was really cool to see people even younger than I am very much passionately engaged in um, the international climate regime and I sat down and talked a lot with a young girl um, from Townsville called Rosalind and she's from an organisation called Decarbonise, Decolonise Um, and she kind of gave the closing remarks to our um, youth dialogue and I think that was really inspiring and instills a lot of hope in me. So that's about it. Our food has arrived um, so I'll leave you with that. Thanks for listening. (laughs) We'll catch up soon. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network, and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our Pausable where you can support us directly in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening. And from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio. Studio.